The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, episode 711 for Monday, May 28th, 2018. Ah, Greetings, folks, and welcome to the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Cab, the show takes your tips, your questions, your cool stuff found, all sorts of information that we find throughout the week. We assemble it, we present it, we mix it all together to make it fun and entertaining and informative with the goal being that each and every one of us learns at least five new things every time we get together. Sponsors for this episode include... Otherworld Computing, where you can check out their new Envoy Pro EX with Thunderbolt 3, and crossover from Code Weavers. If you're holding a judge, uh, holding a grudge, it's time to rejudge, and we will talk more about uh, crossover and OWC in a minute. Here in Durham, New Hampshire, I'm Dave Hamilton, and here in Fairfield, Connecticut, wishing I could be driving 7-Eleven. This <laughs> is John F. Braun. Yeah, yeah, there was an old car, uh, stock car races right near us that uh, we mm-hmm. grew up where uh, where there was a, a guy named Don LaJoy who, who drove the 7-Eleven car. We'll put a picture of his car in the uh, in the show image for today for all of you to uh, enjoy. Yeah, and then they knocked it down and they put them all there. They knocked down the racetrack. They didn't knock down Don. Don yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> That'd be rude. That'd be really rude. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, is he used to live right around the corner from me, and so we would. Uh, I think the races were on on Saturdays, or maybe they were on Sundays. I want to say they were on Sundays, but whatever it was, the day after the races, you could sort of drive by his house and see the carnage. But um, but you know that's uh, that's just how it goes. Uh, all right, uh, let's get into some quick tips here. The first one that I want to share is one that happened to actually me and you, John. Um, Jeff at Backbeat uh, got a new contract in, sent me the contract, went into mail, uh, hit, you know, uh, typed in Dave Hamilton and mail auto filled my address as it always does and then sent it. But for whatever reason, it went to our feedback at MacGeekGab.com address. Now, that's the address. I think I heard you right. You said feedback at MacGeekGab.com. I think for the first time. I know. Yeah, but you're right. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com was where it went. So John wound up getting it. And uh, it was like, okay. like I mean, John and I wound up getting it, right? And I saw it come in. It was like, ooh, okay. So uh, I realized what had happened was that on Jeff's computer, his uh, previous recipient's uh, what, what do you call it? Database, perhaps in mail somehow at some point in time had associated my name with that email address. And so, uh, so I had him go and fix that. And you can manage that too. If you go into mail and you go to window and then go to previous recipients, you will get this whole list and it's searchable. There's a little search field there. You can narrow it down. And if you delete something from there, it will delete it from that autofill list. So this is one place where mail builds its autofill list. It also builds it from your contacts. So if there's something incorrect in your contacts, well, that that you go and solve in contacts. But uh, but this 
tries to be smart about people that aren't in your contacts to make life easier for sending emails back to them and, and that sort of thing. So check that out. Go to mail and then go to the window menu and choose previous recipients and you can uh, potentially and you know avoid potential embarrassment or worse right thankfully in this case it wasn't a big deal it was just john and me and no big deal but uh but yeah could have been worse so there you go that's quick tip number one you manage that stuff actively john or do you only deal with it when you have to uh <clears throat> i can't remember the last time i've had a mix-up due to uh the contents of that database but i remember you had there was another time where I think it was you, you were sending things from your iDevice. Yeah. Coming from... Something was happening. Oh, yeah, 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 perhaps. Uh, yeah, invariably, this problem was caused by me, right? It, at some point in time, I sent an email uh, that was from my name and from that address, and somehow that auto-populated, you know, Jeff's previous recipients database, for sure. Yep. And I, I think this was probably a holdover from that, John. Um, yeah. So, yeah. Cool. Hey, uh, so Andrew chimes in here and he says, I use Siri on my Mac in Mac OS 10.12.6 all the time for general queries. Then one day for kicks, I asked for information about the computer. I asked about the serial number, the processor type, the Mac OS version, how much RAM I had, the hard drive capacity, and a multitude of other system-related information which was spoken immediately. He says this was surprising, although I don't know why it should be since Siri on the Mac has proven to be super useful. I will continue to see what else I can accomplish using Siri in Mac OS. I always forget that Siri is there in Mac OS, but, uh, but it's there. And uh, like, this is super helpful. I tried to ask it on my iPhone, the serial number, no go only on the Mac, but, uh, yeah. but yeah, there you go. Weird. What's that? That's kind of weird. Yeah. I don't know why. I mean, I can see, I can go in and get it out of, you know, settings general on, on, or settings general about, I guess on iOS, but uh, yeah, I don't know why. Like, yeah, anyway, but that's how it is. So quick tips, you know, that's what we do. It's a good one. I like it. Do you use Siri on the Mac at all, John? Nope. Perhaps that no. will change. Maybe. I've just, uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know why I don't really use her that much. The yeah. only assistant I use is, uh, you know, that, that other one. Yeah, the A-Lady, right? Yeah. All right, cool. Hey, uh, on the iPhone, Lawyer Jeff actually had two tips, two quick tips for us from uh, on Twitter. And uh, the first is a reminder that on the iPhone 10, you will see there's a little bar along the bottom of the of the screen. And, and that's sort of the replacement or placeholder or I don't know what you would call it. Uh, it's the avatar for the home button. Right. And that's where you would swipe up and and, you know, do things that you would previously do with the home button. Well, if you just swipe right with that bar you can use it to switch apps, uh, swipe right or left. So it's, uh, it's sort of hard to describe, but, but trust me when I say that it works, that bar's there and you just swipe and there go the apps. Uh, switch from one to the other real easy. You don't need to like do any weird little shapes with your finger. You just back and forth. It's pretty cool. I like it. Thanks for the reminder, Jeff. Very, very good. And, uh, and while we are at it, uh, he reminds us on the Mac about 
option clicking in the notification center icon to snooze it. And in fact, I, I've, I usually do this when I start podcasting so that I don't get distracted with notifications sort of flooding in. And the really nice part about it is when you do this, when you option click on that, it snoozes it. And then, of course, op- option clicking again would unsnooze it. But it is a snooze. It is not a mute in that it only does it for 24 hours. So if you forget, 24 hours later, it turns back on anyway. Um, and you can do this. Of course, now there's something wrong with my Mac. Uh, I can't click on Notification Center. But, oh, there it is. Um, if you click on Notification Center, and it's weird, but scroll up. Like, so it'll start with the, to, the you know, today on, on your notifications and, and then list them down from there. If you scroll up from that, you'll see hidden above is a switch for do not disturb. And it's the same thing. And it'll say do not disturb. And once you turn it on, it'll say we'll turn off tomorrow. Pretty cool, huh, John? That is a good one. <clears throat> it doesn't look like there's any way to set the amount of time. No. It, oh, yeah. I wonder if day. there's a, I wonder if there's like a you know, a, a default setting from the terminal you could do. Yeah. Well, that is a good one. Yeah. Yeah. Especially for those that are easily distracted. I should, um, yeah. I just clicked on it. Mm-hmm. It's a good thing to do while podcasting. I, I find, you know, my, like my family, we have a family text group that we use to communicate. And sometimes when I'm at my desk, you know, in the middle of the day, Someone will say something and then, you know, two or three of them will just start texting back and forth with each other. And it's like, oh, my God, like everything I own starts blowing up while I'm trying to get work done. So in those moments, I flip my phone over uh, onto its face so I don't see it. I have to if I'm wearing my Apple Watch that day, I have to take it off because otherwise, whoa. And then uh, and then on the Mac, I just option click that thing and then I can get back into whatever it was I was doing. So, yeah, it's handy. Handy, handy. All right, John, shall we move on to uh, to some cool stuff found here for the week? Sure. All right, cool. Greg uh, brings us one. It says, a bit of cool stuff found is Horcrux email backup. It's a utility I came across a few weeks ago that I really like. It's a menu bar app that runs in the background and saves a backup of your email files to your Mac's internal storage drive. This makes it easy to migrate to a new email service if needed at any time point and the best part is that it runs automatically in the background on a schedule of your choosing it has replaced mail steward for my email backup needs it might be slightly par- i might he says be slightly paranoid about this but if something happens to any of the email services i use i want to know that i have a copy of all my emails that have already been downloaded and it's not server dependent two thumbs up for this app so far and it, it's a it's in the mac app store uh we'll put a link to it in the show notes but uh, it's 20, 20 bucks, and, uh, and, and it says that it works. It, it lets you automatically back up your mail from any IMAP-supported email account with great ease. So that's um, – I have not tried Horcrux yet, but uh, I, I like the idea of this because email is kind of important. And with the way IMAP works, you know, the server is the master. So if something happens – uh, even on one of your devices that causes, you know, one device to push a bunch of deletion commands to the server, those will be reflected down onto all, all your other devices. Now, of course, if you have a backup of your Mac, you might be able to restore from that. But doing something like this uh, makes life a little better. So cool. Thank you for that. 
Good one. Yeah. Good, John. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a light. It's a lighter version. Because, yeah, as mentioned, Mail Steward is, uh, well, they have different levels of product. And, uh, yeah, mail steward. They may do more than you need. Yeah, and it it I I've tried mail. I should try mail steward again. Um, it always felt yeah, I, like it always felt heavy. So I, I like your your description of Horcrux being light. Um, and if Horcrux is doing this sort of in the background all the time, uh, I mean it, it too might feel heavy, right? We haven't tried it, but uh, I like the I like the concept. So cool. Good stuff. All right, we'll put a link to Mail Steward there in the uh, in the show notes too. All right, jumping on to Jeff with uh, cool stuff found. He says in the last episode seven ten, uh, you guys were wondering about the charging wattage of an Apple small iPhone charger versus a Qi charger, and which one was working when both Qi and wired were connected to an iPhone. He says I highly recommend listeners add a PortaPow power monitor to their toolkit. This has been a fantastic $12 tool that I frequently use to evaluate chargers cables and diagnose most, most charging issues. The device is placed between the charging brick and the charging cable and shows the charging bricks, voltage, current, and power. He says, I have the version two device, but the new version three device is even better. It has the same capabilities, but also adds a data condom feature uh, where it can sit in between you and say the USB port in the wall of your coffee house uh, where you don't know if it's providing just power or perhaps someone is trying to uh, take over your data. He says, so this would prevent that, which, which I like that concept. Yeah. 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 And so we've talked about these before. This is, I mean, it, it it's an inline USB power monitor or power meter, I guess is the, the right thing to say. And it, it does, it's got, this one's got a little, you know, uh, I guess LCD display and, and shows you, you know, what's going on. We'll put a link to it in the show notes. Very, very, uh, very cool. I like it. It's and for 12 bucks, that's, that's the right place, right price. You, I mean, we, we've yeah. had, we've talked about other things like this in the past, but, uh, but yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you and I have, oh, I got a, it seems there's like one company that makes them for everybody or like two companies. Yeah, right. Because you got one that, I, I got a generic version of one that you had a brand name version of and they were exactly the same except that the one that I bought cost like half of what you paid. I think it was a third. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. yeah. But um, and the reason we need this is because it's so difficult to get iOS to tell you this information iOS doesn't tell you this information. It tells you different information. It tells Well, I've I, seen it try, but well, it, what, it's usually a hack. What iOS case. tells you is what the maximum capability of the uh of the right. of the connected charger is. Uh but it does not tell you the current like uh, it, in the yeah, right, you know, yeah. no pun intended. Funny. Yeah, the the in the moment uh, power draw because it changes as you're charging, right? And and won't go, uh, you know, full tilt if you're just at like, you know, if you have five percent left, five uh, percent left to charge, rather. So, um, so yeah, it, it's handy using one of these things. I, I use it all the time to test out. You know, somebody sends us a new battery and things like that to check out. 
Which reminds me, we have a ton. I have a ton. I'm, I'm guessing you do too of uh, of cool stuff found that I've checked out that we need to add to the list. So we'll do that shortly. Um. All right, Greg reminds us, but I, I don't know if we've actually talked about this. But uh, listener Greg adds to cool stuff found the. Uh, Seagate Ironwolf drives. He says, have you heard about them? It seems that there are a lot of benefits for using them with a Synology NAS. And Greg is right. I actually have one of my test units has a couple of Ironwolf drives in it. And they are, I guess the best way that I, I would describe this, John, you, you've heard about this from Synology too, but um, the best way I would describe it is that it takes the concept and, and sort of the, idea of what smart was was supposed to do where a drive reports its own health and sort of negotiates with the bus about that uh and takes it to a level where it it actually is doing that right i mean and it's testing things all kinds of different things including you know bad blocks and all those things but it's also looking for rotational vibrations and and reporting back like if you've had an event where the drive's been been hit or if it's tilted on its side or something that's going to cause it to run either non-optimally or potentially impact its its life cycle like all of these things and and including power management and all that other stuff is that did i get that close to right john yeah i think that's most most of the uh the extra and they also just in general claim that uh it's uh nas optimized right they're meant for you could certainly use them not in a NAS, but if they're in a NAS, then you get um, then you get all these bonus features, and you even get a special uh, control panel. Yeah, you do. Right. Synologies show you a special, or the disk station. And shows you get it. You, 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 yeah. And the thing is, I thought I, I did get some that they had hooked me up with some pre Iron Wolf ones. Okay. I'm like, well, where's the special icon and all the stuff there? And then you're like, oh, I see it. Right. Right. I yeah. don't know if you recall off the top of your head additional stuff it shows you i i'm looking at it i mean it it does tests and uh, i mean it it doesn't show you much if there's much extra if there's um if there's nothing wrong but it it is showing me the temperature of the drive the power on time so how many hours it's actually been running how the disk reconnection count the bad sector count and then it also shows smart status, which thankfully for the drive I'm looking at is normal, and Iron Wolf health status, which also is showing as normal. So, and I just ran a test here while we were talking, and uh, well, it, not on my computer. I, I mean, it's just a web interface, so I figured that was safe to do. <laughs> but wait, there's more. Go ahead. Is that they also have? Well, if you get what they call their Iron Wolf Pro, it yeah. comes with two years of data recovery service. Isn't that neat? Oh, huh. yeah, smart. So it's uh, so they offer a lot of lot of stuff. So um, so that's certainly something I think would uh appeal to NAS users. Yeah, for sure. Huh? Very interesting. So cool. you probably pay a couple of bucks extra for you do. all these great additional features, but but that's sort of the point. Yeah, is you're yeah. actually getting something. Yeah. Cool. Uh, okay. So we've had two from Greg and now uh, two different Greg's by the way. And, uh, and now I will bring in our second cool stuff found from a, a Jeff, although it's a, a different Jeff and, uh, 
And this is, uh, let's see, where are we here? Uh, it says, your recent DVR discussion led me to thinking of my new solution. He says, I cut the cord this month with uh, using an antenna now. And I have found that the Tablo, T-A-B-L-O DVR, works very well as a solution. It's a DVR that has to be connected to an antenna and my network via Ethernet. I then hang a four gig uh, Western digital hard drive from it. And it is viewable through apps on my smart TV and Apple TV or Roku or its own iOS app. He says it works at home or away from home. And he says, so far, I'm really pleased. He says it's not quite as slick as the X1 or TiVo, but for us cord cutters, he says it's pretty great. So we will put that uh, in the show notes. Yeah, the, um, it, the, the, you know, the... I don't know how much longer the cable companies are going to get away with what they, uh, with, with the, the, their current business model. Uh, at least, I mean, part of their business model is selling internet access. I think that will definitely continue, uh, at least until 5G really takes off and then maybe they'll, that'll give them a run for their money. But, um, but in terms of, of, you know, you must buy, you know, hundreds of dollars worth of content most of which you're not going to view uh, every month is something that I'm not convinced is going to last. Thoughts, John? I didn't mean um, No, I think it will because they're the only game in town. I don't know. Well, that's the thing is they're not the only game in town, right? Like the last thing they want, like when you call them up and say, hey, I'm not happy with my bill, notice what has changed. It used to be that they would say, okay, well we can lower your bill, but we have to also lower, you know, the amount of services you get. Now what they do is they say, okay, yep, we'll lower your bill, you know, whatever, 20 or $30 a month. And we'll throw in on top of you, like you'll maintain your same service level. Plus we'll throw in six months of showtime or something like that. Right. Because what mm -hmm. they don't want you to do is, you just say, okay, fine. You lower my bill by 30 bucks a month. And yeah, I get less. And then you're sitting there on your couch thinking, oh, I really wanted that thing on whatever HBO. And you're like, you know what? I could just buy that direct from, from HBO, either a la carte, or I could pay this service or, you know, whatever it is. They do not want you to open that door even one little inch because they know that when you start, like if you're willing to do the, uh, sort of deal with the concept of, of app based or individual purchases for your content, uh, the cable companies lose. And so they don't want, they, they don't even want you to consider that. They don't want to provide the opportunity for you to even begin to head down that path because most of us are not all. And I'm, I'm actually in the not all category here, but many of us are in areas where you can get decent, coverage from an hd antenna and those aren't that expensive at all so it's yeah it's very interesting you know i may pick one up yeah I, i've seen some at my local uh, uh bj's is our local warehouse store. Mm -hmm. i'm sure they have them otherwise but uh you got to check though but the, the, i think there is a service online where you can see if how many how many miles away you are from people that broadcast uh hd yeah. Free HDTV. Um, I'm trying to think of it off the top of my head because Plex will link with all of this, right? Is, um, you know, you can, you, you get the whole Plex TV thing and then you can link 
your, you know, you could do that. Oh, what is it? The HD home run thing. Is that right? Um, you can link that with Plex and, and do all this. So yeah, there's, there's um, from Silicon dust. So I'm, I'm doing this as we're, uh, as we're talking here. So it'll be a little bit herky jerky, but uh, yeah. And you can, so the HD home run would be similar in, in a, in a sense to this tableau thing where it's the thing that, that receives your channels. And uh, I'm looking to see, I think on their website, they had a link to what was available. Um, oh yeah. I can't find it. Yeah. Yeah. We'll find it. We'll put a link in the show notes to, um, there you go. They, yeah. Their channels page. Right. So um, I think antenna web is yes. one place yeah, tried that. where you can go. Okay, cool. And you put in your zip yeah, code. Yeah, so I put in my zip code, and then it shows me I can get ABC and independent, PBS. Uh, wow. Yeah, I should get one of those, even though it's probably mostly redundant with what I got on cable. Well, but that's the yeah, thing. Then, like then you can turn off cable, right? And then save a bunch of money, because HDTV is broadcast for free. But yeah, see, I have... Um, I've I've only got two channels that I could potentially receive here, and one of them is like, you know, likely to be not great. So I'm not in the right place, unfortunately, which kind of sucks. But uh, but anyway, you can check it out. I will I will put a link to Silicon Dust's page because they link to a lot of these resources. Antenna Web, F, F, the FCC, and TV Fool for the US. And then there's different ones for different markets, including Canada, Australia, and uh, and throughout the throughout Europe. So I will I will link to their page so that you can find the one that works for you. Um, yeah, cool. Yeah, it's interesting stuff for sure. I um, I don't know. It's uh, it's cool. So yeah, where you are, John, you might be able to cut the cord very easily and still get over the air stuff. Although you probably, I, I mean, really it's sports, right? And, and even the sports uh, umbrella, like the general description of sports is not accurate because if you're into anything but football, most of that now you can get uh, via an app, MLB and NHL and all that stuff. Whereas football, they've, they, they're the ones that are sort of shackled to the networks because of all their exclusivity contracts here in the USA. But, um, but I think that'll go away. I, I mean, very clearly, I think that'll go away. So, yeah, it's interesting. All right. Shall we get back on track with Cool Stuff Found, John? Or, or do you have more, more to say on that? No, we're good. All right, cool. To, uh, off to Joe, then. And uh, Joe says, uh, I wanted to comment on your segment about encrypted email. ProtonMail, of course, would be great, but there's another great option to fit this use case of not wanting the recipient to have to be burdened with another platform slash account. I wanted to lobby for a mention of Virtru at V-I-R-T-R-U, a slick product for encrypting email and or files, and in my opinion, perhaps one of the nicest uh, ways of sending encrypted content to someone outside of your organization. Uh, their iOS app is free and there's a link, uh, and there's, I think a fair amount of free use options with it, certainly for the occasional use case. 
says I was initially, it was initially for Gmail and, and Google drive. Um, unfortunately not yet compatible directly with Apple's mail, but they've introduced an iOS client so you can use it that way. Encryption decryption occurs on the device. So there's no opportunity for Vertrue to ever have access to the contents, which is what makes it HIPAA compliant. Uh, he says HIPAA compliance advertisement FYI can be an easy way to see if the vendor is staying out of the business of having access to your data being that it is still encrypted at rest. That's a really, that's a nice little litmus test. I had not thought of HIPAA compliance as um, something that indicates that, but it certainly does. Uh, he says, here's the virtue distinction. Uh, he says, I know the fellow posing the question in the previous episode didn't want to mess with apps. He says, I presume he meant more for the recipient. That's right. And he says, but the iOS app is free. And the cool part is the recipient doesn't have to set up an account with virtue. They use a very slick way of using email for the federation part of identifying the recipient. Then from the email, you can go through virtue's cloud to initiate decryption. So very cool. We will, um, we will, they, they're, they're, Virtue, it's kind of in a in a way, it's kind of like iMessage, in that there's you know device specific keys. It looks like uh, happening here, but we'll put a link to Virtue and and you folks can check it out too. But thank you, Joe. That's a that's a good one for sure. So thoughts on that, John? Yeah, I'll have to look. Uh, well. They say easy end end encryption, so right. I'll, I'll believe it. Yeah, yeah. They also mentioned that they comply with some other uh, crypto standards here. What is it? Yeah, yeah I'll, I'll check it out later. Cool. All right. Cool. Um, this brings up an interesting point, though uh, that that's sort of been swimming around for a couple of weeks, and we've gotten actually quite a few emails about uh, the EFF posted a piece back. Uh, I guess yes, about two weeks ago. Uh, about something that's called e-fail and the uh, PGP flaw, as they call it, where um, a group of researchers published a paper that describes a way that encrypted email could be, uh, is it, is hacked isn't the right word. What, what, how would you, what would you call this, John? But it, but essentially it creates a scenario where the email that you thought was encrypted end to end still is encrypted end to end, but there's a way of tricking one end or the other into decrypting it and displaying it. Is that? Yeah. And yeah, cause we, we got a, and actually our good friend, Dr. Bob actually sent an article to us, um, which I think wasn't very good. It was, I think a USA today piece because okay. they actually said in this piece, they're like, well, Oh, this is an exploit that decrypts it. And it's like, no, no, no. What it is, is that it's, uh, I guess you call it an injection attack from what I can tell, is that you basically put some HTML similar to like what a web bug does. Okay. And that because email clients can render HTML, if you put certain HTML in the email, um, you can trick the client into sending it. <clears throat> so it's not really decrypting it. So it's kind of phishing, I guess you could say. Okay. Yeah. The fair. only thing that they bring up in, uh, and I, sent him some better write-ups that go into this and um we'll put a link to the EFF's write-up which is pretty clear on it all too. Yep. Yeah, the 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 thing you got to keep in mind is that in order to do this and this is what I like, I think it was the wired write-up and they're like getting a level of access where you can intercept and modify someone's encrypted email is not trivial. 
<laughs> right. That's true. You need access to their computer, right? I mean, and I think no the other, other thing that I saw that was brought up is that if, if they put additional stuff to kind of redirect or, or trick your email client, you're probably going to get a signature failure because they've modified the payload. So, oh, interesting. Right, right. But as they also said in the one that I saw, they're like, but you know, most people, including us sometimes, I mean, we get them sometimes with, with uh, you know, I'll get a thing with a signature failure and I'm just like. Yeah, yeah you ignore it. You overlook it. It's true. <laughs> no, that's totally true. Yeah, yeah. So anyway, uh, be, be aware of this, but it is not, it's not quite as bad as some it, it it's not the attack some places are making it seem, but it but it is possible. So you know, be aware, be mindful of who has access to your computer, because really that's where it is, right? That's where the keys are stored is on your on your device. So that I would say that's where you need to protect the most. Am I am I right about saying that, John? <sighs> For this. Uh... I mean, it's not really do. Hmm. I don't think really, the, the exploit really doesn't have anything to do with keys. But that's what I'm saying is it's your device that's decrypting it. It can't be decrypted by someone else. Right. So you're decrypting it. And, and then right, this, right. this, this, this phishing attack essentially tricks your computer into exposing the contents in a way that could yes. be read with like JavaScript or, or something else like that. Is that, or maybe mm -hmm. not JavaScript, but, but some other, as far some, as I know, some other engine running on, uh, yeah. So it's a, almost not malware, but, but in that sense. Yeah. So it's like, it's a, instead of a man in the middle attack, would it be best to call it a man looking over your shoulder attack, right? Where you've, your computer displays this information and you don't realize what else is able to see it when it does. I like that. It's the man looking yes. over your shoulder attack. Okay. Well, you know, I just, uh, I'm trying to think. I, I heard of a, a recent study where someone came up with a conclusion that most data leaks are from people doing exactly that. Right. It's not, you know, hackers with, you know, like massive, you know, computing abilities or, you know, mad hacker skills that are, you know, stealing your data it's the guy on the subway that's looking over your shoulder yeah uh, <laughs> yeah all right well we've coined a new phrase now john the man look or, or it we may not be the first to coin this phrase but we've certainly coined a new phrase the uh, man looking over your shoulder i mean i had that happen once i was on the uh, on the train yeah and uh, apparently the guy ahead of me uh the guy who was sitting in front of me apparently worked for the dod or at least that's what the seal on the top of the documents he was looking at said and i'm like uh -huh. Yeah, I've always wondered about that on airplanes, man. Like when someone is viewing something that is confidential, having it say confidential in like bold, bright <laughs> letters is the thing that makes me decide I want to read what he's got. Right. Like that's where that's what stimulates curiosity. If the dude's just there messing around on his laptop with, you know, some boring PowerPoint presentation, which, by the way, is boring because it doesn't say confidential all over it. Then it's like, I could care less what the guy is doing, but, uh, but it's when, you know, it has these like, it's, do not, or, or like you said, you know, has the big DOD seal on it. Like, yeah, guys, that that's, that's an announcement, not, uh, not smart. So if you want to send something that is truly sensitive, 
you know, Times New Roman 12 uh, with nothing about confidentiality on it. I mean, obviously, when you when you deliver it to the recipient, well, then for sure, make sure that person understands the sensitivity of the information you're giving them. But otherwise, do not plaster all over the document itself that this is highly confidential. I realize that there are things like there's legal reasons where you would want to have this is confidential. This is confidential. This is confidential because otherwise, you know, the opposing parties or whatever could say, ah, but you didn't say so therefore, but anyway, anyway, yeah. Hey, uh, twice in one episode, we will mention uh, Jeff Q here at backbeat media. He, uh, he contributed a cool stuff found this week too. And it's uh, both a, a Mac app and service and iOS app and even a watch app called strides S T R I D E S. And then it's at stridesapp.com. And it's a habit tracker or goal tracker where, you know, if you want to do something every day, right. You know, you want to get, I don't know, go for a walk or get to the gym or, or, or anything, you know, you can set these, these habits and it reminds you and rewards you and that sort of thing. And then you can also set goals like, you know, uh, I want to, uh, you know, get to a certain weight or I want to save a certain amount or whatever. And he, he, you know, it, it's, it's one of these sort of mindfulness apps, not a meditation app, but, but, you know, reminding you of staying on track and, and sort of focusing you. And Jeff is someone that is very, uh, very mindful anyway in his life. So when, anytime he recommends an app to me that, that sort of would guide uh, that he says he uses that would guide him down that path. It, it means that uh, it comes, that recommendation carries a heavy weight. So, uh, so I wanted to share that along and this looks fantastic. I haven't tried it out yet, but, uh, but really kind of helps, you know, helps with motivation and inspiration and all that stuff. So stridesapp.com and it's a freemium thing where you can sign up and use it in a certain sense for free and then, and then move on past that. So, so there you go. Good. Yeah. Yes. John, any thoughts? Cool. Uh, and lastly, in the cool stuff found scenario here, Jason on Twitter, uh, recommended something called relaunch Alfred. Now it's R E L O N C H is the name of the company relaunch Inc. And Alfred is, uh, it's a, of a, a photos app, but it, it's got AI in it that imitates artificial light based on, uh, different adjustment maps. So it, it sort of looks at the picture, decides what pieces of it uh, should be lit in different ways, and then lights them differently for you. And you can go check it out. It's, it's kind of a proof of, it feels like this is a proof of concept of the way their AI works. And my guess is, uh, you know, we will see more from them along these lines, but for now you can go and, uh, and download Alfred, from uh, it's relaunch Alfred R E L O N C H Alfred in the app store. And it is free, which is of course we really like. So that's uh that's cool stuff. Did you check this one out yet, John? Uh, I mean, they got a demo on their page where you move the slider and uh, yeah. Yeah. I don't know. It looks like it's changing. <sighs> yeah. I mean, it's, it's adjusting backlight and front lighting and, and all of that stuff. So, yeah, it's pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, a lot of this you can do with the, usually the, the, the settings called shadow in a, in a lot of pictures. Yeah. Uh, but yeah. I guess it does more. Yeah. 
Why? And I think it's doing it. I don't know. We got to. Yeah, there you go. It's cool stuff found. Thank you, Jason. Good stuff. Cool. Yeah, John. Anything, uh, anything else to report before we move on to the, uh, to the next thing here? Nope. All right, cool. Uh, I do want to talk about our two sponsors, of course. And our first sponsor is Otherworld Computing at MacSales.com. This is one of the first places, uh, if not the first place, that John and I go for any kind of upgrade or expansion or really anything that we need to expand and extend the uh, usefulness of our Macs and, and various computing devices. Their Envoy Pro EX is, with Thunderbolt 3 is an external drive. You can get it uh, starting in 250 gig capacity up to one terabyte. External drive, Thunderbolt 3, rugged, portable SSD designed to go anywhere. It's totally bus powered, sustained speeds of up to 1800 megabytes per second, megabytes per second. That's really fast. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. And, uh, it, you know, you, and it, it's, it's Thunderbolt three. So you're going to be able to take advantage of those speeds and, uh, and, and, and it's rugged, right? So it can take it. It's meant to go with you. So you got to check this out. Go to MacSales.com. And, uh, and when you're checking out, let them know that, uh, that we sent you there. They would love to hear that. Our thanks to Otherworld Computing and MacSales.com for sponsoring this episode. Second on the list is Crossover from Code Weavers. You know, these folks have been doing this a long time. They make, it's not virtualization software it is software that runs windows software on your mac without having to run windows you don't need to buy a windows license you don't need to manage a windows installation you get to avoid all the potential of the background malware crap that would run inside of windows because windows is not running very cool and the version they just released uh now allows support for Quicken 2018 and the latest builds of Microsoft Office. So you can run the Windows versions of these things on your Mac OS or Linux system, if you like, without installing Windows. Now, they know that if you've tried crossover in the past, it might not have delivered to your standards. They want you to try it again. As we like to say, if you're holding a grudge, it's time to rejudge. So... If you visit them, go to codeweavers.com slash MGG, and there you will see a page that welcomes you as a Mac Geek Gab listener and gives you a 14-day free trial and gives you 35% off when you use coupon code MGG at checkout. And it will remind you of that right there on the page. So go check it out codeweavers.com slash MGG. Try your 14-day free trial and then you'll be ready to buy. Save 35%. Use coupon code MGG. Our thanks to Code Weavers and Crossover at codeweavers.com slash MGG for sponsoring this episode. Good, good stuff. All right. Uh, I, you know, there's just some more tips, John. I can't help it. I love the tips. Shall we go to them? Indeed. All right. Fighting with allergies this morning. Man, it's crazy. 
Uh, Kiwi Graham brings us to uh, to an interesting iOS tip. He says, this is either a really short tip or an indication that I've missed a trick somewhere. Well, that's the whole idea behind quick tips. Uh, he says, in the iOS reminders app, there is no gesture that I can find that causes a forcible refresh of its cloudy data. And so I was getting frustrated that it took ages for updates in my iCloud reminders list to turn up automatically. Then I recalled that previous versions of iCloud panels grouped calendars and reminders together. So I went to the iOS calendar app. I tapped on the calendars button and then I pulled the screen down to have it do one of those little refresh things. And hey, presto, my reminders were also updated. He says, I'm not sure if this is really because both calendars and reminders use the same data store or refresh procedure or if refreshing my calendars simply caused a refresh of all iCloud data. He says, but it doesn't really matter. It worked. My guess is it's the former because calendars and reminders are both stored in what's called calendar store on iOS. So my guess is this is just forcing a full refresh of that. But uh, but yeah, good little uh, good little tip. And if anybody knows how to force that refresh from within the reminders view, let us know. That would be a good thing. Cool. Yeah, John. More tips. I want my stuff up to date, man. Yeah, man. That's right. But you don't want it burning up the battery when you don't want it. You want it to read your mind. That's the key. Yes. Uh, all right. So then, uh, Paul. Where is Paul here? I know I'll find it. There it is. Uh, Paul says, um, I thought I'd pass on a tip about what to do to coordinate the same photo library on two different Macs without the use of iCloud photo library, which I don't use because I don't entirely trust it. He says, and I also don't like how there aren't any granular controls about how much space iCloud library uses on my devices, particularly iOS, as opposed to something like Dropbox or Amazon Prime. To replicate the photos library that's on my main MacBook Pro with my Mac Mini, I use a combination of Hazel and Dropbox. He says, I've got a Hazel rule that looks into the masters folder of my MacBook Pro photos library. And when I add something to photos on this Mac, Hazel copies any original files, pics, or movies to a Dropbox folder I've got set up on the MacBook Pro called Photos to Copy to Mac Mini. On the Mac Mini, I have a separate Hazel rule that monitors the photos to copy to Mac mini Dropbox folder. And if it sees anything in there, it copies the files into my photos library on the Mac mini. Once the files have been copied, Hazel deletes them from that Dropbox shared folder. It says I never use both libraries at the same time. So there's no problem there. And this setup also allows me to use Backblaze on my Mac mini to do an offline backup on my MacBook pro. I use arc to do an encrypted backup to Amazon S3. This is like, this is pretty simple, but pretty smart. Um, and then he goes on to say, to make sure I get my wife's pictures of our kids from her iPhone into both of our libraries, I've set up a geofence in the Dropbox app on her phone that automatically uploads her pictures to my Dropbox. I can either suck them straight into my iPhoto library, once again, using Hagel, Hazel, or triage them manually, and then put them into my photos library on my MacBook Pro uh, from there all in all he says it's a bit of a hack but it means i can keep two photos libraries in sync on two different machines and have them backed up using different offline services and all i have to do is chuck pictures into my macbook pros library the rest now happens automatically this is so i share this because many of you might be interested in a very similar solution but 
Uh, it's also just sort of in a general sense, a really good uh, example of how Hazel can can do this and Dropbox too. And, you know, the nice part is he, he's not having to buy storage space on Dropbox uh, because he's just using it essentially for one picture at a time. I mean, maybe a few or whatever, but uh, it's not like he's storing his whole photos library there. It's just the transitory sort of temporary shared storage. And then off he goes, could use iCloud uh, drive for this. It, you could use really any uh, service that shares files amongst, you know, uh, amongst your two computers and, it doesn't really matter what it is. If you have a Synology, you could, you know, use Cloud Station or Synology Drive, whatever it's called, Google Drive. Doesn't matter. So pretty cool. I like this idea. Very, very cool. Thank you, Paul. Good stuff. Thoughts on this, John? It's a good hack. It is a good hack. It's yeah, yeah. It it's it's so good it doesn't feel like a hack, right? I mean it's it is, but you know, it's like yeah, it's a good hack. You, you, well, I, the, what I like is that you avoid. Um, yeah, at first, I got nervous until I, you know, grokked what's happening here. But um, I thought what was happening is you're storing your photo library on Dropbox, which I think is something you typically probably don't want to do, or I think it struggles sometimes with these. Uh, yes, complex uh, things that are a file but really aren't. It's right, like, you know. But if he's just using it as more a staging area, which it it's sounds just, like that's yeah, that's it. And he's smart to now that the trick is navigating in, and and this is also where the hack is. But he's got Hazel watching the masters folder inside his photos library. So if Apple were to change the structure of the photos library, then that would would start to break down. But but. That's not going to happen by surprise. We're all going to know that the photo, like Apple's going to have to tell us, yeah, the photos library is changing or we'll hear about it. So yeah, it's good stuff. I like it. Thank you, Paul. Um, we heard from, we talked in, uh, I don't know if it was, it wasn't the last episode, but recently we talked about app tamer and, uh, and how it pauses uh, apps and, and keeps your background processes sort of tame as per its name. And we um, sort of speculated as to how it was doing these things. Well, uh, John Gotow from, uh, and I hope I'm pronouncing your name right, John, from, uh, oh, I can never remember, St. Clair Soft. I always confuse that with, uh, Saint, with Stairway Software, who makes um, Keyboard Maestro. But uh, John from St. Clair Software uh, wrote us because he listens to the show. And he said, uh, just to clarify, AppTamer doesn't use the system's nice command because, as you guys pointed out, that doesn't actually cap a process's CPU usage. Nice just gives the process a lower priority, so it'll get less CPU time if there are others competing. Uh, it'll make a difference when the machine is getting maxed out or I.O. is bottlenecked, but otherwise it doesn't have a huge impact. AppTamer, he says, essentially micro-stops processes. It stops them for small slices of time then restarts them. You can actually hear this taking place. If you set AppTamer to slow Safari to say 5% of the CPU, then start, start some sort of streaming audio uh, 
and then push Safari to the background. Once AppTamer starts throttling Safari, you'll hear the audio stuttering as Safari stops and starts. Depending on how much time an app needs to be throttled, AppTamer may end up giving it very little actual runtime, keeping it stopped most of the time. He says you can also set a process as priority in AppTamer, which does use the nice uh, command or the same Unix underpinnings as nice by option clicking on a process in AppTamer's process list. The popover window that pops up will then have a priority slider as well as the normal controls. So you can experiment with process priority if you like. I love that he built in the option click to give more, you know, geekier details uh, into the app. But I, it's funny. I, we, I got this email. I queued it up for the show. And then the other day I was on my MacBook Air uh, doing something and I had a video running and I, you know, switched to another app and I heard it, the video stuttering. And I was like, Oh, I know why that's happening. I, because I've done exactly this. I've set Safari to, to be that way uh, in app tamer. So thank you, John. Very good stuff. Cool. Any thoughts on this, John, before we move on? I have actually haven't had a need to use their uh, software. But you seem to like it. Oh, it's awesome. Don't, stress my computer out as or I don't tax the resources of my computer. As right. As, um. Right. I, um, I probably should be using it here in the studio, um, for the, uh, for the podcasting machine here. I find, and I think I mentioned this when we first talked about it, but I find that if I have mail running and it only took me almost 13 years to figure this out. So, you know, it's all good. But if I have mail running in the background, um, it will cause, it will surface more opportunities for audio stutters than if I do not have mail running. And I think it's because, you know, mail goes and checks in the background. It pulls down mail. Then it fires off the spotlight indexing processes and all of that stuff. So if I just tell it to really what I would do is just tell it to sleep mail if it's in the background. Uh, and based on the way I use this computer, that would actually work out just fine. Then I could have mail running potentially while, uh, while I podcast, whereas now I just quit it. So, yeah. Yeah. And don't forget the becoming resp- unresponsive for no good reason at all part. That That's the part I like about mail. I don't have that problem often. Do you do you have a, a like a thought about why that's happening for you? Uh, all I know is when it does, I force quit. Huh? You know, I'll click on the icon and, yeah, yeah. and it's comes up and, you know, I get like a spinning, you know, the spinning, uh, the spinning whatever of, of weight please <laughs> yeah yeah right huh no every now and then i don't know what what so maybe i am having uh process issues that's weird yeah. though I mean, it doesn't happen it doesn't happen often but um it happens you, every every couple of weeks or is the like i go over to mail and and it's, it's just dead to me so is the cpu like running i guess mail using a lot of cpu in these scenarios or no no last i recall it Looked like some supporting, yeah, some some other daemon that that I think, uh, as you pointed out, you know, lots of things are happening. Right, with mail, you know, it's doing indexing and stuff like that. Huh? Yeah, I'll check the process, uh, but but I'm, it was something with a D at the end, so it could have been a supporting process was uh, traumatizing mail. I don't know. Yeah, 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 yeah. What uh, you, uh, you probably use GPG mail as a plugin. Do you use any others? Not in, yeah, I used to I used to have a spam filter, but I think that's the only one. Okay. I'm using that and Sig Pro. Oh yeah, yeah. Okay. I use Sig Pro and I don't have that issue, so I mean, 
uh, but I mean, there's no, who knows what causes all these things, but that's sort of the trick is figuring it out. You know, you can also, and I've found developers who have been able to mine this for valuable and helpful information. If you go into activity monitor, uh, and highlight a process or actually double click a process. And in the lower left corner of that window that appears, there is a sample button um, that will save sort of a snapshot. I, I don't, I don't know um, if, uh, if I have the right description or the, the right explanation of what it does, but it, it, it takes a, a snapshot in time of, what that app is doing and all of its processes. And um, I've had developers look through that and say, Oh, I see what's happening here. It's, you know, and on mail, it's this plugin spiraling out of control or, you know, waiting for something or that kind of thing. So who knows, maybe, uh, maybe, you know, pouring through that sample log could, could help John. I don't know. Uh, Gordon, because, this probably happens to more than one listener, I would think. He says, I definitely learned something new uh, while listening to MacGeekGab705. Thank you for providing a solution for a problem I didn't know I really had. He says, I have a late 2013 MacBook Pro that works like a charm. However, starting about six months ago while working on the computer, the screen would go randomly dark. This would happen maybe once every two or three weeks. I could see no rhyme or reason for the cause. To get the screen back, I simply closed and reopened the lid. Not a big deal and very random, so I never bothered pursuing the cause. Then the light bulb went on while listening to MGG705 when, John, you mentioned that the MacBook uses magnets to know that the lid is shut, thus putting the machine to sleep. Well, sure enough, he says, that was my issue. The problem began shortly after I purchased a new band for my Apple Watch, a band that, you guessed it, uses magnets in the clasps. I verified that this is the cause by putting for putting my Mac to sleep. It is repeatable 100% of the time. Anytime I move my wrist near that location, uh, for him it's the left side of the Mac by the headphone jack, the Mac goes to sleep every time. Thanks again for providing a solution to a problem that I wasn't even trying to solve. There you go. Thanks for uh, thanks for sharing that, Gordon. I I bet that will that will help someone else either immediately or like you. You know, it might be one of those things where it's like, hey, I heard about this thing once, and really, that's kind of the goal of what you know what we do here in the show is just expanding sort of the the knowledge and hive mind so that when something does happen, you have it in your head to be like, oh, wait, 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 I've heard about this before, and that that can really save you a ton of time. So so there you go. Good. Anything, John? Mm -hmm. Yeah, good. Okay, cool. Uh, Andrew has a question. I'm not sure if we have an answer for him, John, but uh, but we will go there nonetheless. Andrew says, uh, within the last months, I've begun receiving a spam text message from an always changing phone number. Because of this fact, it's very difficult to stop this text message from appearing on my devices that I receive my messages on. Furthermore, there doesn't seem to be some kind of spam blocker built into the messages app uh, on the phone and no obvious way to white or blacklist numbers uh, texting or iMessaging me. 
Uh, I noticed there is a name, which incidentally is not mine, that shows up in every text, but blocking this text using some kind of content filter is also not something that I can do on my iPhone. Do you have any tips for blocking undesirable uh, messages? So, oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. So, uh, <clears throat> you can blacklist it. numbers, but that's not going to help when the number <clears throat> is, is constantly changing. So, man, well, you can, uh, most providers, if you forward the message to seven, seven, two, six, what is seven, seven, two, six? You ask spam. Uh-huh. You, you it, if enough people report the number, although it's in all likelihood forged, um, if enough people report it, then the, uh, the phone company uh, or the right. cell- cellular company can uh, blacklist it. Well, but maybe like that's said, why they're changing. It's, it's the like number. a moving. Yeah. Well, that's it. Yeah. Because people report it and then it, it, it gets uh, shut down. So you know, if they, they won't allow it, if you go on your iPhone to settings and messages, there are two things in here that might be helpful. The first in the SMS MMS category is uh, a blocked list and you can see what's blocked there. And you can also add new things. Now, as we pointed out, that doesn't really help with your specific scenario here, Andrew, but it might help someone else. So I wanted to point this out while we're on the subject. The other thing, and this might help you, Andrew, is uh, that when you look in here, where it is it just below that, there is a message filtering section. Now, it's not quite as uh, comprehensive, uh, comprehensive as you would like, Andrew, but there is a filter unknown senders option there where you can turn that on. And what that does is uh, it says it turns off notifications for messages from people who are not in your contacts and sorts them into a separate list. So this might give you that sort of whitelisting capability in a sense. So I share that in hopes that maybe it, helps to if it doesn't avoid or eliminate maybe it helps to reduce some of the frustration from this so there you go um you want to take us to i I got oh sure but uh okay no i had a fun one the other day my landline actually got a call and the id was apple retail i'm like yeah right yeah right (laughs) oh and they left me a message saying um my icloud was compromised and i better call them immediately Mm -hmm. and uh (laughs) yeah yeah, yeah, it's, it, it's you know they could have designed it to make it not so easy to forge that stuff, right? You know, digital signatures or crypto or something, but <laughs> it's just annoying that they're they're so easily uh, compromised. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's too easy. All yeah. Right. All right, no, taking us to Zach, John. I think we are okay. okay. Well, this cool. is a good one. A blast from the past. At least I think it is. So Zach says, hi, guys, I'm trying to recover mboxes and the address book from a five to seven year old iMac. I was able to recover documents and desktop and photos folders. But when I go into a user folder, I cannot find the library folder. I believe this is Yosemite or something of that era. OK, um, I thought these files would be in the user library. Doesn't it? live in the user folder. I'm starting up the iMac in target mode. I'm viewing the iMac hard drive contents on a 2012 Mac running high Sierra. Any suggestions? Uh, sure. So, um, number one, as far as I know, Dave, 
mail data has, I thought it always lived in the user folder. It and has, maybe it is. It's yeah. just in a different. Maybe it's just in a different spot. It's not in library. I'm pretty he's right. sure. We're, we're, I'm pretty sure it's in library. But but it, it's a good exercise. So take him down this path. Yeah, yeah. So here, uh, so yeah. Normally it's in your home directory, library, mail, and now it's v5. Um, right, and it would have been know, v3 in, in the past. It's been v4, yeah. v3, v2. Um, here's what I do, Dave. So you want to find an inbox file? Why don't we search for it? But it gets a little tricky. Okay. So what I do, Dave, is I will use the finders find feature, which when you're in the finder, you hit command F and then you get a uh, search dialog. But you got to do one special thing. These files are considered system files. So what you want to do, we've talked about it in the past, but what you want to do is in the search criteria, you want to enable the system files option and say system files are included. And once you do that, you then say, you then search for the inbox files, and at least on my system, uh, there were tons of them. Now you do is you click on one of them and say get info, and you will get the path to where your inbox files are. Or right click on it and say show in enclosing folder. Ah, yes. Right, and then and that'll get you there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, and I will point out that that will not necessarily show you the hierarchy because it just, the finder just lists that it is mail. So, uh, another keyboard shortcut trick that will help you here is when you get to that area where you say show an enclosing folder command and up arrow will bring you to the, in, to the enclosing folder of that. And and then you can go command and up arrow again to go to the enclosing until you figure out, oh, here's where I am. Um, my guess is, and this will work, right? And inbox dot M-B-O-X is um, a very old non-Apple sort of standard format for storing mail messages. And, and so that's why um, that's why Zach was looking for these because he knows that it stores them in that format and names them that way. Uh, I think the reason Zach's not seeing the library folder, though, is because High Sierra is is hiding it from him. Right. right. The library folder is hidden uh, inside your user folder, but you can uh, force it to be shown by doing our new favorite. Uh, I I think this will work for this. If you do command shift period in, in the finder, it toggles the view of hidden files on and off. So that might help you dig in and find this stuff too, Zach. And, and it's a finder wide toggle. It's not, uh, not window specific. So if you're doing this, like you are, it sounds like on a, um, you know, a client's computer, a friend or family members computer, you want to make sure to turn that off so that they don't, they're not looking in the finder and seeing all these hidden files that they're not used to seeing. But it's just command shift period uh, that, that can do that either way, which is super, super handy. Uh, there you go. As for the other item, the yes. contacts data, um, that I believe has always lived in your user directory library, assuming you can find it. Yep. Um, this is where it gets tricky. Application support. And then a folder called address book. So even though it's now called contacts in, in the, the bowels of the OS, it's still referred to as address book. 
Right. Oh, yeah. Now if, you don't, now, if you don't have that directory, then you can do the same trick to do a search and address book. Now, check this out. Um, those files have a different suffix. And it's A, B, C, D, D, B. And I bet you that stands for address book card database or something like that. Wow. <laughs> right? I bet you're right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and so I'm, I'm wondering if you copy that folder from the old machine to the new machine, it's going to populate the... Uh, yeah, yeah. It's going to populate the uh, contacts on the, the new machine that you want to bring it over to. Huh. If that doesn't work, then what I do is boot the old machine, if you can, I'm assuming you can, and go into the, uh, you know, go into the app and export the data to something like a V-card or whatever. And sure. And import it on the new machine. Yep. Yep. For most, for most apps, including mail, and I'm hoping contacts, if you, ju- if you copy the, you know, the data folder over, um, most of the time, the, the receiving Mac will be happy with that right uh yeah 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 it should be it, it, most of the time yes yes yeah <laughs> i've never done a contacts a, a manual contacts migration though yeah i yeah it's true i've always done a backup and then a restore and that way it's backed up in vcard format and and you know comes in that way but i i think that would work i think um, you know, there's one way to find out. Yeah, exactly. That's that's how we learn these things, right? Is you you think, hey, that might work, and then and then you try it, and sometimes it does, mm-hmm. and now you've learned. Yeah, cool. Where are we on time here? Oh, we got a little, we have a little bit more time. Okay, good. Um, yeah. So, Paul, thank you for uh for for this next one. So, Paul said uh, we were talking in the last show. And I mentioned that I, I, my frustration with, with Siri on my phone where I said, take me home. And it stopped and said, you have to unlock your iPhone first, which I thought, oh, man, it's like, that's not the point. And, uh, and so Paul said, maybe instead of saying, take me home, say, navigate home. And maybe that would do it. And I tried that and the exact same thing happened. So it was interpreting them both to, correctly to be, you know, the same thing. And, but that got me digging. I'm like, wait a minute. But I did it while I was at my desk. And so I could, because I, I use an iPhone 10, I looked at my phone and it unlocked after it said, you need to unlock your phone first. And then it showed me the, the answer because it's, it said, pick which home address you want me to take you to. So evidently I had two home addresses in my contacts record. Now, one of them was just my city and state. I think it got imported from a Facebook data dump or something at some point, but it had it listed as home of the address type. And I, I suppose from a security standpoint, Apple has decided that if you have, it's not going to divulge your address. It's simply going to direct the person that has your phone to your address. Now, one could argue that, you know, doesn't really matter either way, but, uh, but that's what Apple's decided. So it's not going to display your address on the screen without you uh, unlocking the phone. As soon as I went into my contact record, of course, and cleaned that up and took that out. 
Now it does not ask me to unlock my phone to do that. This is very similar to what was happening when I told it to call my son and it said, I'm sorry, you have to unlock your iPhone first. And it was because uh, from years ago when we traveled to Europe, we all got uh, UK based uh, SIM cards. And so I still had his European number, his UK based number in his contact record. Of course, that number's dead now, so it's irrelevant. So I deleted that and now it would let me call him. So it's an it's an interesting security sort of where that line has been drawn of, yes, you're allowed to make phone calls to people. You're allowed to navigate to your home, but it will not show you the information that it's using to either make that phone call or, or get those directions without your phone being unlocked. So that that um, there you go. That's that's where the line's drawn. So thank you, Paul, for the for the um, for the nudge to figure that out. Good stuff. Yeah? Mm-hmm. 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 Uh, I'm looking, seeing what we've got here. Uh, I don't know. Let's, um, let's jump to Davey Dave. I think this is a good one. He says, um, he says, I have one that's a head scratcher for me. And uh, he says the lack of the hair on top of my, my head, uh, given that I'm going to need some help. He said, I want to paint a little picture. He says, uh, I have, uh, I had a teacher drop me an email stating that she cannot find screenshots that she just created. They normally show up on the desktop of her MacBook pro running 10.13. Now the past couple of days, she would do a screenshot and nothing would show up on the desktop. He says, I witnessed this while working with her. So I did a spotlight search for the screenshots and they showed up in the search window. Okay, cool. So I next look at the files path and sure enough, it's on the desktop folder. He says, wait, it gets even better. One click uh, on the file in the spotlight search window and the screenshot all of a sudden shows up on the desktop. We both looked at each other with an I can't believe what I just saw look on our faces. He says, the only troubleshooting I could do at the time was to ask her to restart her laptop before class gets back into the room, not knowing whether or not this solved the issue. He says, uh, I'm going to go back and, and check it out. And he says, uh, I visited the teacher again this morning and she told me the restart did the trick. The screenshot screenshots all showed up on the desktop, but her wallpaper went away and instead is the default high Sierra wallpaper screen. So to her, life is okay, but now I'm wondering why the desktop wallpaper went away. Um, so the first thing is that Macs get wonky when they haven't been rebooted for a while. We've talked about that, you know, and for me, I find once a week is, a, is, is actually where, it, where I want to restart. Um, less than that, and it doesn't matter if I wait more than a week and things start getting weird. But I, this weird is, this is weirder than, than that. Uh, but it's possible that force quitting the finder may also have solved this. It's possible that force quitting the dock may also have solved this because the, I think it's the dock that manages the background pictures. If memory serves, I'm glad you went there because that's where I was going to go. Okay. Yeah. Even though it sounds kind of counter. Yeah. The, um, and the way you do that, of course, is you go into the terminal and you say, kill all space dock. That's the best way. I agree. And that re that restarts the dock process. Yeah. And may restore some other things. And and, and may. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, things may suddenly appear. I've I've had weirdness too, like 
Oh, yeah. I should have run that. No, I had to, where I had a network volume where it wasn't mounted, but the, it showed it as mounted in the sidebar and I had an eject and I'm like, well, you're, you're kind of confused, aren't you? Yeah, right. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I want to take a minute here and thank all of our uh, premium subscribers that have contributed this week. And I apologize for not doing this earlier in the episode. Uh, when I build the agenda, I, I put this in and I built the agenda very quickly last night. It's been a crazy weekend. I've been playing drums in my daughter's high school production of Greece, And uh, so my schedule's been a little bit compressed this week. And, and then, of course, tomorrow's Memorial Day or today, the day the show's released is Memorial Day. So we're recording a day early. In any event, uh, I want to thank you. So on the monthly $10 plan at MacGeekGab.com slash premium, this week we got contributions from Clive S., Ev the Nerd, Dave G, Jeff F, Joseph B P, John B, and Tony Z. And in the biannual $25 uh, every six-month plan, Patrick C, Andrew D, Monroe R, Stephen S, Stephen B, no relation, Paul C. Thank you to all of you. You rock, and we really um we really appreciate it. It's uh it's absolutely wonderful that we get to do what we do and and it means your your contributions uh, certainly on the premium side from financially but really everyone's contributions in every way helps us all and and uh certainly is inspiring and uh, a driving force for john and and me here to just keep doing what we what we do for all of us i was going to say for you but really we do it for all of us we're we're included we are we are just one big happy Mac Geek Gab family is what it is. So it's good stuff, but uh now I must go play Greece again, John. So there Greece you go. is the word. One last time. That's right. Yeah, it's been fun. It's been good. The last time I did Greece, uh last time I played the drums for Greece, I was a junior in high school, so I joke with my daughter that I don't have to be one of those theater parents that vicariously <laughs> relives their high school experiences through their kid. I just get to relive my high school experience there alongside my, my kid. So it's, uh, it's been pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So that's what we got. I want to, uh, we've told you how to reach us. Our premium subscribers, of course, uh, you can use the, one of the perks you get is premium at MacGeekGab.com as an email address. And we prioritize the stuff that comes in there. So you can also call us, 224-888-GEEK John Geek is 4335 And find us on Twitter We love talking to you folks on Twitter At uh, twitter.com slash MacGeekGab for the show Twitter.com slash John F. Braun for him Slash Dave Hamilton for me Slash Pilot Pete for that guy that uh, Sometimes shows up and Helps us with real-time feedback during the show And uh, Yeah, it's good stuff We'd love for you to follow us there. It's always good. It's always good. I will be at uh, at in uh, San Jose for WWDC next week, and uh, so that will uh, that will we. In fact, I think we're going to record our show while I'm out there. So that should be interesting to make sure that works. I do want to thank all of our WWDC sponsors that are that are helping us, uh, you know, with all the coverage and everything that we'll be doing. The- <coughs> Uh, I knew it. I, I knew I was going to miss the mute button on one of those. Allergies have been awful here in New England. Uh, our WWDC sponsor inc- sponsors include iMazing, uh, Carbon Copy Cloner, Jamf Now, 
Smile, and Eero. So thanks to all of them for really helping us do what we do. Thanks to our sponsors for this episode here. Of course, that was Otherworld Computing at MaxSales.com and Crossover from Code Weavers at CodeWeavers.com slash MGG. And, uh, and then, of course, uh, thanks to all of our ongoing sponsors like... Uh, Smile, so Smile's all over the place with us here. Uh, Barebones Software, and we've got a couple more coming on board that I can't wait to tell you about. Ring, actually, of course, ring.com slash MGG. Very, very good stuff. Really good stuff, in fact. Thanks so much for listening, folks. Can't wait to do this again next week. John, do you have any, uh, any thoughts? Musings, three particular words. Well, I know how the TSA loves you. <laughs> they do. And you love them. I do. So the only advice I want to give you is that when you are flying and going through security checkpoints, you don't get caught. Made up.